Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. It wasn't just a bad weekend for Indiana sports. It was brutal. It was awful. Whether you're talking about college basketball, whether you're talking about college football, or whether you're talking about the pros. I mean, the, the Pacers, they ended up with the loss, but everything, of course, is about the Colts. This team is not good, and I'm putting it on Jim Ursay. I know I'm the only one who's putting this whole thing on Ursay, but I'm doing it. This is a Jim Ursay issue. Clearly, Jeff Saturday is not a savior. I'm not mad at the dude, but don't tell me this was the smart right maneuver. This was a, I have to make a change and, oh, I know this guy, so I might as well use him. That's not a, it's not the way you run a, you run a team. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? 833-GOT-TONY. That's the number. 833-468-8669-8669. Yeah, that sounds about right. Let's break this down in its component parts. JMV joins us from 93.5-1075, the fan and JMV. Let's start with IU basketball. They're 7-0. and Everything's going great. They got to go to Jersey. They're going to play Rutgers, the Scarlet Knights. I grew up not too far from there. It's Rutgers. This is a no-brainer, and they lose by like 20 points. They don't even score 50. What the hell happened? Yeah, Tony, Rutgers hasn't been a no-brainer for IU in forever. In fact, either home or in Bloomington, I should say in Rutgers or in Bloomington, it hasn't worked out well for any IU team led by Trace Jackson Davis. And I guess you look back on Wednesday night, okay, and they're matched up against Carolina, look really good going away, a 12-point win over the Tar Heels in Bloomington. People thought they were going to get a lot more than they got on Saturday afternoon. And what Rutgers did was outline, again, the major shortcoming in this IU basketball team, and that is perimeter shooting. Are they going to be able to get it? Can they get it consistently? Because outside of Miller Cop, they didn't have it. Now, granted, freshman Jalen Hood Shafino was unavailable because he was working out pregame-wise and came up with a back spasm or something. He was unavailable. That was a big deal. But I saw in this IU team, Tony, what I had seen that was an Achilles heel and has been for a while with IU basketball is that they just cannot find consistent outside shooting. And when you get those defenses that are just going to pack it in against Trace Jackson Davis and then bring a double, maybe even a triple team at him, and he kicks it back out, these guys can't hit it. That's going to be detrimental. I hope they find it. I'm not sure if they have it, but they sure as heck didn't have it on Saturday at Rutgers. But when you're able to do so well against North Carolina, when you're able to show such strength in those first seven games of the season, and you say to me, well, you see, they, Rutgers picked up on a shortcoming. That means everybody knows the shortcoming is there, so you just play Rutgers' way of playing basketball, and, and IU never wins again. It doesn't seem to me to be uh, something that would, would make sense. Not everyone can play the way Rutgers did. Uh, but to more to your point, what is the correction moment for IU? What is the thing they may have to change about themselves to make this weakness mitigated? Well, for one thing, they, they did not rebound well, especially in the first half um, on the defensive glass. Rutgers was all over the offensive board. I don't know if they're going to be able to consistently, Tony, change their lack of, uh, again, consistent perimeter shooting. But to your point, you can get it in a game here or there, but it's really going to stand out, for example, in a loss as it did on Saturday. And maybe there are some games where they still don't shoot it at a high clip or a good clip, and then that ends up 
you know, costing them the game, maybe. But this team is still really talented. Don't get me wrong. They're still one of the most talented teams in the nation. But that shortcoming they have will, I think, also come back up at some point again this season because teams are going to pack it in on trades and they're going to try to take him out, try to have him get rid of the ball and make others on that team beat him. So maybe they do improve the outside shooting. Maybe that was just a game, but that has been a consistent shortcoming for this team over the years and not just talking about the Mike Woodson year. This is year number two for Mike Woodson, but they are still as good as anybody talent-wise but that definitely will be an Achilles right. heel, and that's something they got to fix. Talking to JMV, appreciate you being with us, 93.5, 107.5. The fan, let's move it over to what we saw in that Big Ten championship uh, where Purdue has proven they can kick field goals, and they can kick a whole bunch of field goals, but when it comes to the red zone, they can't actually score a, a touchdown. 43-22 to 22 it didn't have to be this way, or is the Michigan defense really that good? No, Michigan as a team, Tony, is just a lot better than Purdue. I mean, Purdue, you feel fortunate as a Boilermaker fan that they were there, um, and they did compete for a large portion of that game, but the difference maker there was that Michigan is just a better team, and not just defensively, but on both sides of the football, a lot better team. Here's something I want you to watch here, and we'll see, because you have Scott Satterfield is the uh, former now head coach of Louisville, who's moving to Cincinnati to become their football coach. Now Louisville is going to be wide open. And if you remember the last time before Satterfield was hired, they made overtures at Jeff Brom at Purdue. Jeff Brom is from Louisville, attended Louisville, and we'll see if Louisville makes a major run at the present Boilermaker head coach. Those are things, even before starting to talk about the Citrus Bowl and their matchup with LSU, we're going to be talking about is part two with Louisville trying to draw in possibly Jeff Brom as they did a couple of years ago. That's something worthy of watching. What is it? I mean, it sounds to me like you're just trying to throw in a panic moment right there. <laughs> I'm not trying to throw in a panic moment. It's legit. I wouldn't bring it up if, if it were just throwing in a panic moment. I don't need to do that. But, uh, no, that's legit. It was a draw the last time. I think Jeff Brom had even mentioned maybe a timing for that wasn't right. He likes Purdue and all that right stuff. But, you know, part two, if they make a, a run at him, it is, it's worthy of paying attention to, without a doubt. And I bet you, boy, the Maker fans will. So now you've got um, Purdue in the Citrus Bowl. That'll be on January 2nd playing LSU. It's, it's interesting because on, on paper, which, or maybe just when you think about team names, LSU outclasses Purdue every day of the week and twice uh, on Sunday. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm trying to be honest about it. LSU certainly didn't have the season they were hoping for, but this seems like a bit of a mismatch when you take a look at it. Now, you know what? It's it's good for Purdue, too. And maybe LSU hadn't been that great. Uh, They haven't had a great deal of consistency this year. They'll be more consistent further down the road with Brian Kelly, don't get me wrong, but they didn't have a lot of consistency in the SEC this year. But I think this is a good matchup for the Boilermakers, and Boilermaker fans have to be happy, you know, getting and maneuvering around the Big Ten West in the fashion in which they did. And remember coming up in, uh, what, the next couple of years, they're going to end up getting USC and UCLA in the Big Ten West as well, and that will make that even tougher, certainly in football. But no, I think Purdue fans have to be excited about this matchup, and yeah, LSU being from the LS, uh, being from the SEC, you know, and having that great tradition football-wise that they have, 
they have been far again from consistent this year. This is definitely a winnable game for the Boilermakers. And then you take a look at how they've got. Well, by the way, I, I forget uh, that you got Notre Dame in there somewhere. I forget, oh, they're they're going to be in the Gator Bowl against yeah. South Carolina, the world famous December thirtieth Gator Bowl, JMV. <laughs> it was a lot of world famous back in the day when we actually did really truly care about it. Now it's an interesting matchup because they had Notre Dame got a you know at least not a major bowl but uh, kind of a middling to major bowl. That's nice. Get to play another one. Fantastic. They get South Carolina. Spencer Rattler is the quarterback of South Carolina. If you remember him a year ago before the season started at Oklahoma, he was the quarterback and he was supposed to be you know possibly a Heisman Trophy winner and. Uh, he ended up getting benched. He ended up leaving the school. And when Lincoln Riley obviously left for USC before that, Spencer Rattler ends up at, at uh, South Carolina. And he has done a great job there, especially in the second half of the season. You can ask uh, Jason Hammer, uh, one of your colleagues there at IBC, uh, about what he did to Tennessee. He is a good quarterback. That is a feeling really good about themselves offense. And that's going to be a lot for Notre Dame to handle for sure. Let's now bring it to the most obscene fourth quarter we may have seen in a while where the Dallas Cowboys beat the Colts on Sunday night 54 to 19 and as a reminder this was a 21-19 game at the end of the third quarter the Colts were in it although not great and then Holy good hell, man. The end comes. Was this about Ryan's poor throwing, or is this about the defense just not caring? Well, I mean, it was about it was about both. I, I think you saw a lot of both. You saw Matt Ryan, who, honestly, it's over. I mean, it is over. You can go to Ellinger. You can go to Foles. But he looks either injured, too old, noodle armish, whatever. So you might as well go a different direction with that. And I would agree. I think I said this this morning to you. I thought that the defense got frustrated. I thought the defense kind of gave up. I really thought the team kind of gave up a little bit. And that's what you don't want if you're Jeff Saturday to see. It's one thing to take a beating as they did on that Sunday night standalone game in front of absolutely everybody. But to see people out there and then have those people suggest that your team is not giving it their all or kind of just, you know, quitting on plays in certain situations, that is not all at all good to see for Jeff Saturday. So, yeah, it was an embarrassment for a team that has seen a great deal of that embarrassment this season, Tony. Let's go through two parts of this really quick. You were discussing on the morning show that, and just now, that the defense, in your opinion, gave up. What does that actually mean? Because you're still out there, you're still running the plays, gave up as in no effort, no heart. What is it to you? Um, yeah, I mean, I think you could see a, a couple of those plays in the fourth where they were completely demoralized defensively that there wasn't a lot of resistance. And that's that's what I can tell. Um, and, and again, I, I know that the players themselves, the coaching staff, the organization will say you have no idea what you're talking about, and, and that's okay. But what I'm talking about is early in the game, there was a hell of a lot more resistance defensively than there was when the game was no longer in doubt and Dallas was running away and, you know, jumping into Salvation Army kettle, kettles and being cranked out as Ezekiel Elliott was, having fun, laughing, dancing, giggling, just enjoying themselves at the expense on national TV on a Sunday night of the Colts. You can just kind of tell 
that resistance is what you're looking for, Tony. And they had it basically up until that point in the third quarter when it all started to fall apart. And then they didn't have any midway through and late in the fourth quarter. That's what you got to take a long, hard look at if you're Jeff Saturday. How much... I'm going to say this wrong. I'm going to get yelled at. I'm going to get yelled at by the Colts organization. Won't be the first time. Won't be the last time. Um, how much actual coaching is Jeff Saturday doing? I mean, oh, I mean now yeah. that we are four into this and he's one in three in the four games, is this all ceremonial silliness and rah-rahness, or is he actually engaged in some level of coaching? Oh, I think there's a lot of Zig Ziglar going on here. I think there's some like motivational, conversational – uh, as you mentioned, rah-rah type of stuff, speech given, things of that nature. And I think he is letting his offensive and defensive guys handle things. Parks Frazier is the offensive coordinator, or in this case, the play caller. And then certainly Gus Bradley defensively. I, I, I couldn't tell you an exact amount, but I know this, Tony, and if it makes sense to what you're saying, is that he's letting the guys that were in place already doing those jobs, I guess with the exception of Parks Frazier, who was not in place, but he was still, you know, along the off, he was an offensive uh, assistant, assistant to Frank Reich. He is letting those guys do their job. So I think he's probably more about motivation and then sideline decisions and stuff like that than he is about what actually is going on, schematically speaking, on both sides of the football. Is Parks Frazier damaged by all of this? Or, I mean, when I look at him, they needed a, a play caller, and some people were like, oh, I don't know if I want that. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. I mean, that's my guy. The guy who raises his hand, like, I'll do the thing. It's not your fault that you can call a play that Matt Ryan can't actually uh, get done. He can't actually perform the, the action. You're only as good as the tools on, on the field. But does anybody think that Parks Frazier is the guy who's in over his head? Um, I, I think there are times you might think that. I'll give you a great example. Um, you saw it once last night, actually maybe a couple of times. I think once for a touchdown, but certainly a couple of times. I wish they would throw a lot more uh, footballs down the field to Alec Pierce. Now, I know that there's a lot that entails here. It's the protection, it's the decision-making of Matt Ryan, which, you know, along with his arm, seems to be uh, aged 50 years and like one here, as we've seen. But I would like to see them, you know, who cares? Take more chances with a guy that you want to see, um, you know, in the future in Alec Pierce. Take more chances further down the road. I want to see that, throwing it up and having Alec Pierce go get it more than what we have seen. But, yeah, other than that, I, I don't know how much right now he's going to have to work with. Um, it hadn't been great. It hadn't been terrible. I just think it's kind of been with his personnel, Tony, what we all expected. Next week is the bye week. We get off the bye week. Is Matt Ryan still the starting quarterback? I bet he's not. I would bet he's not. I bet it's either going to be Ellinger or it's going to be Foles here moving forward because there are some financial implications to um, get a pass, you know, a physical when you're done. And there are bonus escalators. Don't ask me to get into them, but I know that these bonus escalators probably are, are in uh, the neighborhood of $17 million. So you do have some financial decisions to make regarding Matt Ryan certainly moving forward, and he just looks like damaged goods right now. Looks like damaged goods, and uh, last night was really embarrassing for a future Hall of Fame quarterback, Tony. That was that national televised embarrassment for him, 
And to me, coming off this bye week, I bet you they go to either Ellinger or Foles and hope that that will last for the remainder of the season. I will also tell you this, Tony, in closing, um, they're not altogether sad about the direction this team is going right now. I mean, it's it's all over, right? So the more you lose right now, the better your opportunity to move up. I think they've moved up right now. Yeah, but now nobody nobody will admit that, right? Nobody will admit no, they're no, going to no, tank. No, nobody, nobody will admit to it. This is me telling you the truth about it, but nobody over there will ever, and I mean ever, admit to it. They want to try to get up and get themselves a quarterback and get their best position. You've got some teams in front of you still right now they are going to be drafting a quarterback I don't think they care at all if they were to lose out. And I think really the only opportunity in general they have to win is that game at home against Houston. That's about it. But, yeah, right now they're not going to tell you this, but they're not really caring if they lose out by any stretch. They shouldn't be. JMV, appreciate you taking the time to be with us. I've got more to get to. Keep it right here, guys. This is Tony Katz today. So the Attorney General of Indiana, Todd Rokita, he kind of gets a kinda he kind of gets a, a smackdown, a bit of a slapdown from a judge saying that he violated confidentiality rules. But the real story here is the judge said to this doctor, "No, no, 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 your complaint is nonsense. You don't get to block a request." For your medical records, Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Uh, this is about the doctor, Caitlin Bernard. You know that whole story about the 10-year-old who had the abortion? She's the one who leaked that story. The argument that, that Attorney General Rokita made is that she leaked the story. She violated confidentiality. It, there wasn't a proper reporting to authorities of what happened to this 10-year-old, which, of course, we would all state is physically abusive, sexually abusive. However you describe the abuse, uh, you're going to be most probably accurate. And that this doctor was leaking stories, whether it be the Indie Star or others, and you can't do that. And he's looking into how she violated privacy laws. Of course he's right to do that. The people who are about pro-abortion, abortion any time, abortion at any hour, abortion any day, like how dare the attorney general. The attorney general is accurate. I find it interesting that the judge in the case, Marion County judge by the name of Heather Welch, said, hey, you, the attorney general, violated the licensing statute confidentiality provision by discussing the investigation and statements to the media. So I don't know what happens from there, but it doesn't stop the AG's office from investigating the thing. People are going to focus on the AG. I'm focused on this doctor. You can argue the AG is wrong, but they won't talk about the doctor, and that's why I won't let it go. This doctor moved a story to create the political and did it not worrying about what happens to this child. I think that's where we're at. And so I favor the investigation from the AG. Find everything, TonyCats.locals.com. This is Tony Katz today. Who wants to buy a brewery? Uh, maybe. Maybe. That's the... That's the best answer I can give you. Tony Katz, 93 WIBC. Good morning. Good to be with you. Gary Dick joins us from InsideIndianaBusiness.com. On Twitter at IIB, you've got the story over there. I, any chance I have to lead with beer or bourbon or rye or 
cigars or food. I'm going to take uh, that opportunity. This is Indiana City Brewing. They are based in Indianapolis. They're looking for a buyer on the brewery on the Near East Side. Uh, Their equipment, the intellectual property, and the book of business. Why are they getting out, and is this the time to be buying a brewery? Well, it's always a good time to buy a brewery, Tony. You know that. That's true. Uh, That's true. That's science. (laughs) Yeah. You know, in terms of of growth, Indiana City has, uh, you know, really built a a nice brand here in Indianapolis. As you mentioned, they put the brewery up for sale on the east side. In fact, they've hired uh, an investment firm to to try to find a buyer uh, for that as you look at what the brewer, what they're saying in announcing uh, the sale, they say they're very happy with uh, you know what they have done over the past decade, and they've grown over the past decade here in Indianapolis uh, to build a brand. So uh, I think it's just uh, you know, perhaps an exit strategy that they're they're looking at to uh, uh, as far as that next move. Uh, you know, you and I have talked a lot about the brewing business in Indiana, if you will, and how it has grown dramatically over the years been some recent follow-up been several breweries that have have uh, have gone away in part because of, of covid and some of the impact there with some of these uh, tap rooms and those kinds of things so it's uh, it's an industry that grew very rapidly uh, in indiana and still seems to be vibrant uh, i I, w- I would say as well no i don't think there's I don't think it's going away anytime soon. I think what we've seen in the distilling uh, world and in, in the distribution world, you know, you, you, you talk about distilling, you see what Hard Truth is doing down in Brown County. You see some of the innovation yep. that's coming out from, from Backbone Bourbon, which has a, a, you know, I mean, I worked with Backbone to create Recovery Rise, so I, I have absolutely a soft spot for them, although I have no financial uh, connection to them. They just put out a new rye, a, a 17-year rye. That just it, It'll make you weep. It's, it's that absolutely fantastic. There is still a lot of movement, a lot of movement in that space, but spirits has, because of COVID, exploded, and I don't know if the same is true of beer. Is there a feeling that when it comes to breweries, uh, Indiana is saturated? Uh, Great question. Uh, You know, I think if you look around the state of Indiana, uh, I I think it, it can be perhaps described as a bit of a niche business. You look, interestingly enough, and distilleries would certainly fit this bill as well around the state of Indiana. You look at communities that are doing these big quality of life projects, whether whether they're really big projects like uh, electric works up in Fort Wayne or bottle works here. Uh, but some of the smaller uh, projects as well around the state, Typically, a distillery, a brewery is part of that development plan. So it's part of that uh, kind of that uh, that trendy vibe, if you will, that developers and others and cities around the state as they look to attract talent and keep talent there uh, are uh, are going to. So uh, I, I don't think the market is going away. You can question whether there's there's too much there. But I think that demand uh, certainly uh, for, for breweries and increasingly distilleries is out there. So, uh, so I guess the question now is, uh, you and I going in on a, on a brewery, yeah. is this what's happening? Well, you, we got, there's a brewery there. You've got the, uh, distilling, uh, expertise as well. So maybe it's uh, maybe it's a combo. I uh, see, see, but I don't have distilling expertise. I have, I have the after effects, uh, quasi expertise <laughs> of drinking the distilled product. <laughs> 
right? And when it comes to the Aquavitae, I don't think I am. I don't think I'm the guy you want just yet. Talking to Gary Dick inside IndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. Uh, it's Michigan. It's Purdue. It's a Michigan blowout. It kind of stunk, uh, but it's good for Indianapolis, right? The money is is there uh, for that Big Ten championship. Uh, what is, you know, we talk about economic impact, and we, and we see, look at all the money that it brings. Uh, but again, is, is there the opportunity, and what is the work lately being done to bring more of this, not only on the convention side, is the convention business back, but are, how much effort is being put into the large-scale events not just conventions, but the large-scale events that really can shake the ground. Yeah, a lot of work, uh, to be sure. And as you and I have talked a lot about during the pandemic, that decimated uh, really the uh, the event business and the convention business in Indianapolis and cities all over the country. Uh, it's back. Uh, you know, if you talk to Visit Indy, they'll say it's at pre-pandemic levels now as we end 2022. And there's a, a lot of effort. And, you know, it's interesting, Tony, Indianapolis was the very first city in the entire country to have a local sports commission, the Indiana Sports Corporation. I think it was 1979 when that, that kicked off. Today, there are literally hundreds. There are numerous sports commissions in, in Indiana alone. So this has become an extremely competitive business. Indianapolis has hosted the Big Ten Championship every year since its inception. There's a lot of uh, pressure for the Big Ten to look at other markets now as well for that event. But as you look at bigger, uh, big events like the NFL draft, I know there's a real interest here in Indianapolis that perhaps getting a, a future NFL draft is, is one of those uh, those big events. Uh, esports, you know, the gaming uh, the craze that continues to, to, to grow uh, on the sports side of things. So uh, I, I think it's picking and choosing. People ask, hey, is Indy going to go after a Super Bowl? Uh, I think it's a legitimate question. Uh, the city has to make a decision on whether it wants to do that, which it's an expensive proposition just to bid uh, on that event. Uh, I think Indianapolis, of course, by all measure, did an incredible job hosting uh, the uh, Super Bowl when it was here. Uh, so we'll see. But I know there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes. It's picking and choosing which events are the best to go after. Talking to Gary Dick from InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. I caught this over uh, there at uh, at IBJ, your sister there, uh, from the IBJ podcast, that Luke Kenley wants more money in annual spending. Uh, so this is a question of what we're going to see from the General Assembly. I think it's interesting that he's saying this. Is there going to be a big ask for, for, for more dollars? Are we going to see a move towards more tax cuts? What's the big story brewing up as this session gets ready to begin 30 days from now? Well, I, I think uh, as you look at this budget writing session, obviously, which uh, there will be a lot of asks going on uh, at the uh, at the Indiana General Assembly. And, and one of them, uh, I think it's safe to say, came out last week, uh, Tony, which I thought was interesting, kind of flew below the radar. We're going to have more on it this week. Is Indiana University's plans for this science and technology hub on what is now the IU campus will become IU Indianapolis uh, in the future. There aren't numbers attached to it, but I know behind the scenes, uh, IU officials have been lobbying uh, legislators uh, over there at the state house uh, about this plan to create a corridor that would greatly increase the number of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math students on the IU. Uh, PUI campus. So so that's one of multiple big asks, I think, that could come in this session or soon at the Indiana General Assembly. Now, there's already been a lot of 
talk about the idea of tax cuts, maybe more uh, property uh, tax cut issues, uh, income tax cut issues, I, I, I should say. Uh, and I'm, I'm in favor of all of that. Uh, the, the more tax cuts, the better. I have never, ever met a tax cut that I have an issue with. Uh, taxes are punitive. Your money does not belong to the government. Your money belongs to you. And anybody who sees that otherwise is mostly a dangerous cat because they believe that you are nothing more than a, than a vessel for the state's financial needs. I don't believe in property taxes at all. So uh, they, they consider me a radical when the truth is I'm rational. Property taxes are the government's way of saying, you own your house, but not really. Because if you don't pay your property taxes, you lose the house. You own the house, you shouldn't pay any property tax whatsoever. Well, that's how they fund schools. Fund schools a different way. That's the answer. Fund schools a different way. Don't tell me about, well, this is the way we do it. The way you do it is garbage and people don't own their property and that's got to come to an end. But let's get back to the session and what it is we're going to see. Uh, I, I, I have heard, of course, like, like you may have, that the plan is tax cuts. That's something that they're going to look at in uh, this session. That story was a, a, couple of, a couple of weeks ago. I want to say I, I actually found it over at Wish TV um, that uh, Todd Houston, who is uh, the Speaker of the House there in, in for for the General Assembly, Republican, out of Fishers, saying the taxpayers deserve further relief, considering that you know you've got four or five billion dollars sitting in the in 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 the in the what is it the rainy day fund the slush fund I don't know what you call the thing. Uh, Jeff Thompson, who is the chairman um, of the House Ways and Means Committee, are looking at some ways to present property tax relief to Hoosiers. Okay, so they are discussing property tax relief. I, I want it all, right? The income tax cuts are phasing in. I want more income tax cuts there. And me, I would get rid of all property taxes. But again, they'll call me a, they'll, they'll tell me I'm a radical and this and that and all. Radical for all the right reasons. Radical for all the right reasons, my dear people. We'll keep an eye on that session. Of course, we'll have it all for you starting in January. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. So it's finally possible that Sam Bankman-Fried is going to get years in prison. Yeah. Yeah. Why, Why hasn't he been arrested yet? He stole billions. He cost people billions. He didn't follow any rules. Okay, you need more regulation. That's your answer? He stole. I don't think you need anything more than that. Oh, we have to regulate crypto. When they start regulating crypto, it's the end of crypto, which is what they want. Except, of course, they want a digital cons- uh, currency for the United States. And allow me to say uh, to the uh, uh, Gen Z or millennial, or I don't even know what people are calling themselves now, if you're okay with this idea, it's because you don't know anything. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. I don't want to be insulting. I don't want to be rude. But if you believe in a digital currency for the United States, you don't know anything. You're out of your skull. A digital currency, meaning no cash, cashless society, for America means a total tracking of what it is you buy, which means a total tracking of where it is you are at all times. Well, that doesn't bother me. I'm not buying anything wrong. 
Wait until they determine you've bought too much of it. You like a chocolate bar. You like what, what, what do you like? You like the you like the Twix? You like the what are you left Twix or right Twix? Ah, I'm kidding. It's the same damn candy. And 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 you like Twix. Well, what if you buy, you know, like a Twix every other day? Well, all of a sudden a government watchdog. Right, some government agency, Health and Human Services, has decided. You know what your problem is? You're eating, you're eating too many Twixes. So they limit the number of Twix bars you're allowed to purchase. They literally don't allow you to purchase the good that you want. Now you say to me that's far fetched. I'll say to you that if you haven't read enough dystopian books or novels, you really should because that's the baseline, baby. You give the government the ability to control the means of which the the purchase is made, they can control what you purchase. And if you're okay with that, you're a fool. I and I and I don't just say this to younger generations, I would say this to anybody. Nose to nose, you're a damn fool and you're dangerous and this is why I have to ignore you. We all do. Us, the free and thinking people. We just have to go they're out and on to the next. Sam Bankman-Fried is a criminal. I don't need any more regulation to tell me this. But he's still in the Bahamas. He hasn't been arrested yet. I don't know. I don't know why. I have absolutely no idea why this hasn't happened yet. If you and I, or, or you or I, you and I, if you and I or you or I did anything remotely like this, we'd be in jail already. We live in a society that wants to put you in jail if you put a rain barrel on your own property to collect water for use in the future. Somehow that's not allowed. If you want to build a shed, which, oh my gosh, the shed conversation came back. I finally figured out vacation. Figured out vacation. I'm not going to say where I'm going. Not going to say when I'm going. Not going to do any of that. Uh, But was able to, after all this time, find some deals. And and look, I'm not I'm not flying the way I want to. And very 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 upset. Not flying first class. You know, you know this kills me. Me not flying first class. I mean, that's just that's just a sin. Oh God! I know, right? Ew, David. I agree. I agree. I hate Illinois Nazis. Well, that's just completely different. But okay. But I had to make some concessions here and there because the pricing on everything is criminally insane. And because I found the deals, and it's the only way we're going, only way we're going is because I kept this thing cheap. But it's going to be exciting nonetheless. Uh, Now I'm like, okay, I've wanted to build onto the house for years now. Build the studio, right? Build it right, and and (laughs) it's not happening. And then I was like, build the shed. You can get kind of like the pre-made shed and you can do it up and I can build a full radio and TV studio in there and do the cigars and everything everything that I do, all the things that, that I do. I'm like, ah, the pricing, eh, I don't know. Well, now, now, now it's on. Now it's officially on. So if you know good shed people, I'm interested in hearing what it is they have to offer. I'm taking quotes from everyone everywhere but when i put it in i'm gonna need some kind of approval from the city of carmel and you know i'm screwed right you know i'm screwed it's carmel 
I mean, I don't know what kind of rules they have about sheds, what they allow and don't allow. I only assume that the permit is going to come across the desk of of Mayor Jim Brader. He's going to go, cats? And then I'm going to see, like, how it gets declined, and I'm going to be all like... A vicious mother, isn't he? It's going to just get... It's going to be super bad. Oh, it's going to be super bad when the mayor of Carmel's like, cats wants a shed? Let's inspect everything. I, to the extent that Mayor Brainerd even looks at uh, something like that, which he doesn't. I, but I, I, I mean, this is what I'm doing. I could, I, I love a good vacation. I'm a man who, who, um, is all about experiences. That's what matters. That's what moves me. That's what you know gets me. Some people like things, I experiences, uh, but I'm just trying to be realistic with the dollars and 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 get the most out of them. And so. I said, all right, I want a vacation. Doing it. Do it. A couple changes, and then, you know a shed guy. Tony at TonyCats.com. Tony at TonyCats.com. I need a shed guy. I don't I got a lot of guys. I got a bourbon guy. I got a, got a watch guy. I need a shed guy. That's now what I need. So if you know a shed guy, Tony at TonyCats.com. Make it happen. Make it happen, if you will. Find everything. TonyCats.locals.com. TonyCats.locals.com. Tomorrow, everyone. Take care.